Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Pastor at Faith Dialogue here in Celebration, Florida. Uh, we're in a sermon series called Unstoppable that's based on the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. And we're about midway. We're in the 14th chapter. And we've had Paul and Barnabas recently commissioned by the church in Antioch. And they're now in Iconium. Now, this is the, uh, what the what we call the first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. In essence, they were the first missionaries sent out by the church in Antioch. So we're officially in the, in the second half of the book of Acts, since there's 28 chapters. Now, Dr. Ru Dr. Luke also wrote the gospel by his name, and he's a tremendous historian. We've been enjoying going through uh, the book of Acts. Um, the second half of the book of Acts, we'll see there's a, a singularity. It's the, it focuses on the Apostle Paul who has been called to go to the Gentiles. Um, by the way, as we're now in chapter 14, we're also in the second half of the Great Commission. The second half of the Great Commission where it says, go to the uttermost parts of the earth. Last week we talked about the response, rejection, and revival. And we said that this was in chapter 13, and we said that this would be a pattern now throughout the rest of the book of Acts as Paul's custom was to go to uh, a new city and go to the synagogue first, to go speak to the Jews, but then he would also speak to the Gentiles. And of course, he would have much greater success with the Gentiles. So let's begin reading today in Acts chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Verse 14, Now it happened at Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews, and so spoke that a great multitude both of the Jews and of the Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. Paul and Barnabas had just been expelled from Antioch, Pisidia, because a large group of prominent Jewish men and women had stirred up persecution against them. Uh, and they had a great response there, and the word of God was received by many. That's what it said in chapter 13. But Paul and Barnabas had to leave. Now, in Iconium, an, an old established pagan and Gentile city, there's also a synagogue and there's a great number of Jews that are in this city. And a large number of them are, are well established. They're prominent members of the community. Now here in these first verses we see the, the pattern that we spoke of last week being repeated. Paul and Barnabas first went to the Jews to speak to them. Note that the scriptures say a great multitude, both of Jews and of Greeks, believed. Now, the word that Paul and Barnabas shared with this mixed group, this multitude of both Jews and Greeks, is the gospel. It's the gospel, the word of God, that worked in the hearts of the Jews and the Greeks so that they would believe. 
uh, Paul is, is not ashamed of the gospel. And in Romans chapter 1, 16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of salvation to everyone who believes. Then he says, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul delivered just one message, and it had a powerful impact on both the Jews and the Greeks. This is the pattern that we saw in the previous chapter, and we see it again here. When the gospel was preached in the synagogue, the response by, by many, if not most, of the Greeks as well as the Jews was acceptance. Many believed, a multitude, a, a great company of, of individuals. See, there is, there is power in the gospel, the word of God. This group of Jews and Greeks were spiritually in tune as well. After all, they were in the synagogue. They were listening to hear more about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They wanted to hear the truth about God. However, that truth to this point had not set them free. You see, in, the, in this Old Testament, there's, there's no promise of salvation. There's no risen Christ that pointed the way to a promise of eternal life. Their knowledge of God and scriptures up to this point was confirmed that the promises made to Abraham and the descendants of Abraham were, were true. That God had visited his people, God had provided for his people, and God would send a Messiah. Now, some of us can relate to what happened to both these Jews and the Gentiles that you hear the good news that's what the gospel is it's the it's the good news that sin has been atoned for that both jews and gentiles alike could be set free from the law of sin and death and that through faith in jesus christ and his death on the cross his resurrection and his ascension into heaven that would give them the true shalom the true peace and wholeness that's really had never been possible before. You know, I, I've had the opportunity to talk with many people that have been churchgoers most of their lives, actually longer than I've been going to church. They've attended regularly, they call themselves Christians. Now they never really read the Bible much, but their church never really encouraged it anyway. Uh, they often enjoyed some of the activities at the church, uh, but what they told me and the, what they claim made all the difference in the world was when they finally heard the gospel, this life-changing gospel uh, that changed their life. The Holy Spirit dwelt them, and it, and it changed their life forever. Uh, to know that you can be forgiven, accepted, beloved, and granted sonship, that you can be called a child of God, is a life-changing experience. So let's continue. Verse 2 says, Unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Uh, notice Dr. Luke speaks of unbelieving Jews. Uh, now who are these people? Well, they're called unbelieving Jews by Dr. Luke because they refuse to believe the good news of the gospel. These, are the, these people are the same mind as the people in Jerusalem 15 years prior that cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Now this is not a theological decision. This decision that they're making they're not weighing the scriptures. They're not taking into account uh, the scripture proof that Paul and Barnabas was sharing with them. This is purely uh, emotional. Like the Jews in Antioch, uh, where a large group of prominent Jewish men and women stirred up persecution against them, uh, they voted no 
against Jesus because they had too much invested in the status quo. The gospel of Paul and Barnabas upset uh, the apple cart. These Jews had a good life. The pecking order at the synagogue was well established. Everybody knew their place. And Paul and Barnabas were outsiders. Now, it wasn't enough for them just to say no, to reject Paul and Barnabas, Jesus as the Messiah and the gospel that was being preached. The word of God here says that they stirred up others to reject both the message and the messengers. It says that they poisoned them with their words. You know, I, I love it that that verse then says, therefore, they stayed a long time. I love it. Despite the opposition, or possibly because of the opposition, Paul and Barnabas stayed a long time at Iconium. Uh, now, there are two reasons, and the first is simple. That the, these new believers needed to be reached. They needed to hear more about the gospel. They needed to be established. Paul was not going to be able to stay there forever. They would have to be on their own, and they needed to know the gospel before Paul could leave. The second thing is they needed an example of how to survive despite persecution. Now, we shouldn't be surprised at the persecution. This is what Jesus had said. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. But as it is, you do not belong to the world but I have chosen you out of the world. This is why the world hates you. That's John chapter 15, verses 18 through 20. Most likely, Paul and Barnabas were also watching their growing persecution. You know, initially started off like most persecution, starts off with insults, then expulsion. They, were expul they, they had expulsion from the synagogues, and then some more serious persecution and threats of violence. However, Paul and Barnabas hung in there as long as they could to strengthen this, this new group of, of disciples. Verse 4 says, But the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews, and part with the apostles. You know, some of the commentators that I've read concerning this, this Paul and Barnabas at Iconium um, take note that this is the first time that Paul and Barnabas were called apostles. Barnabas, by the way, we first see in Acts chapter 4. Um, and Barnabas is actually a nickname. Uh, let me remind you of, of, of Barnabas. Acts chapter 4, verses 36 and 37 says, And Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, meaning son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. You know, so, so Barnabas is called an apostle. And I think that some people... Uh, they, they get their own theology all tied up in knots trying to decide exactly what the qualifications are for an apostle and, and who they were. You know, many of the early church leaders were called apostles in the New Testament. The word apostle really just means one who is sent out. And while there are others that can be called apostles, like Barnabas, let's not get them not confuse that with who we know as the twelve the 12 apostles, the 12 disciples uh, of Jesus Christ. So the scripture uh, says that part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. Now this is also part of the pattern of the gospel going forward. This gospel is called the gospel of peace because it brings 
peace to our hearts. It brings peace between the relationship between God and man. People recognize that they feel peace and they, they decide to go in with the gospel, in with Jesus. However, the gospel is also divisive. And this is a difficult saying for many. You know, church people often want to get along with everyone. They, can't we just get along? And they try to make sure that the gospel doesn't insult, it doesn't offend, it doesn't upset their neighbors or their friends. However, ultimately division will come, hostility will come, and persecution will come. Jesus said, do, you, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against daughter, a man against father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be members of his own household. Now, just to make sure we understand what Jesus is saying, he continues in, in uh, verse 37. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. You know, it was for this reason, this realization, that the response by the Jews was, was mixed. You know, many sided with the Jews, but many did not. Uh, those that did possibly weighed the cost of what it would take to embrace Jesus as the Messiah. And they likely realized that it would mean offending uh, their mother or their father, their sister or their brother. One of the ministries that I was, that was a part of an organization that I led back over 10 years ago was ANM. It stands for Advancing Native Missions. It's a great organization. It's located in Virginia, not far from Washington, D.C., and my office. Recently, ANM posted information on the rapid growth of Christianity in Muslim countries. These Muslim countries don't have a First Amendment like the United States. There's no religious freedom. So making a decision for Jesus has dire consequences. For example, in most of these radical Islamic countries, a Christian convert could be locked up for three days or under house arrest or be in jail. And they'd be given three days to recant and return to Islam. If they wouldn't, they actually could be martyred. If they happen to escape, their families are charged with the task of hunting them down and ending their life, a right of honor for a Muslim. The children of a Muslim man who is converted to Christianity, a follower of Jesus, these children are considered orphans because they no longer have a Muslim father. They're often sent to uh, uh, other relatives to be able to bring them up in a Muslim home. The more fortunate Muslim converts to Christianity are, are forced to leave their homes, family and community, typically with nothing more than the, the clothes on their backs. You know, there are many stories of, of beatings and, and forced marriages. A woman that converts to Christianity will often be forced to uh, marry a Muslim relative and stay hidden in the house to avoid shame and scandal. And many of these women are beaten or taken to a local imam and whipped. This is what Jesus meant when he said, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. 
and, and quite frankly, we really shouldn't be surprised. We know, for example, that there are two paths before us. One is for heaven and the other one is for hell. Uh, there's no third option. There's no third door. We have the choice of either embracing the gospel, believing in Jesus, or rejecting the gospel and rejecting Jesus. There is no middle ground. So let's finish up and see what Paul and Barnabas do when they're faced with mounting persecution. Verse 5, And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, citizens of Lyconia, and to the surrounding region, and they were preaching the gospel there. Now this is an important lesson to us today, and it's been an important lesson throughout history of the church. Notice that when a violent attempt was made by these Gentiles, by these, these Jews, Paul and Barnabas fled. They ran. They got out of town. We quoted Matthew chapter 10 earlier when Jesus says we should would be hated and persecuted. Here's what Jesus says a few verses later in verse 22 of Matthew 10. He says, You will be hated by everyone because of my name, but the one who perseveres to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. You know, Jesus made a, a similar statement to the apostles just before he was crucified when he was speaking about the end time. And he was speaking about halfway through the tribulation when there would be a, a desecration of the temple. Jesus said, flee, literally run for your life. And I quote Matthew 24, verses 16 and 17. He says, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to take a cloak. And let me close this teaching today with a, with a personal message that we can also see as a pardon, a pattern in this discipleship process. A dis the discipleship process that we saw with the Apostle Paul and Barnabas. And this is it. The proclamation of the gospel is not an argument that you need to win. It's simply the good news that needs to be told. You know, all too, all too often, when we're sharing the gospel, we find ourselves in an argument with those that are unwilling to listen and that are stubborn. Now, if you're interested in proving your skills in presenting the gospel, you know, there's plenty of tools that are out there. One of them that I'd recommend is what's called the Four Spiritual Laws. And you can get information and an illustration of the Four Spiritual Laws at the number fourlaws.com. And there's another tool called the Roman Road. I've used that in the past myself. The Roman Road is a, a collection of verses all from the epistle of, of Paul to the Romans. And it presents a very clear and structured path to Jesus Christ in salvation all within the book of Romans. Sharing the gospel with someone is part of going and making disciples. But arguing and debating with them is not part of the Great Commission. God bless you in all of your efforts to be able to share the gospel. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for this day. For the You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www 
faithdialogue.org.